It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Good Saturday morning. Happy to be here with you, Ashley Frasca in studio. Green and Growing starts right now here until 9 o'clock. And glad to have Leo and Anne along and you. You've got three hours to get in your garden calls and your garden questions. 404-872-0750. And I know a lot of you are up now because you told me so on Facebook. I recently just had a post. I mean, I really, I've been doing more gardening in this heat than I did at the beginning of the summer. I'm just invigorated by it. I mean, I'm not comfortable, don't get me wrong, but uh, so I just asked simply, you know, what are you doing to beat the heat, gardeners? I want to know. A lot of you said the pool, staying inside during the day, gardening in the early morning hours, watering in the early morning hours. You're trying to get out there and garden between maybe 6 and 10 a.m., so I know you're up, and I'm glad you are. Glad you're here with us this morning. Um, A lot of things to cover, and I find it funny that all of a sudden my coworkers, and, and I love this, but my coworkers that I've never known to be gardeners or we've never really had conversations about gardening, they're coming out of the woodwork and they're starting to ask me all these questions. And I like it. I like being asked questions because of the challenge of trying to educate myself in giving someone an informed answer or to the best of my knowledge, you know, maybe not 100% this is what it is, but something, you know, that, that it's likely to be if it's a disease, if it's a pest or something like that. So um, an example, Scott Slade that hosts Atlanta's Morning News. We worked together Monday through Friday, but sent me a, a great picture of a black band near the bottom of a sunflower stem. And, you know, definitely shouldn't look that way. It looks like it's starting to deflate the stem in that spot, which is obviously going to collapse, you know, all the internal parts of the stem that need to have the water flow up to the sunflower head. And he's like, what is killing the sunflower? What is this black band? So doing a little bit of research, found that it's likely to be a stem canker. So that makes sense. It's on the stem. Looks like a cankerous kind of spot. Uh, A fungus that likely just overwintered in the soil. So even with vegetables, you don't really think of crop rotation with sunflowers too. But folks that have very large sunflower gardens, that's another good reason for crop rotation, you know, giving that spot a break from that particular family of plant for two to three years, whatever's in the soil that, you know, that plant is susceptible to can die away or just fade away and then reintroduce that crop to that soil a few years later. So crop rotation can avoid a canker, anything that overwinters in the soil like a fungus and an application of a preventative fungicide, but obviously a lot of times we don't really know that our plants are going to be infected with something until it's too late, so getting ahead of it. But I also found that that's um, likely to happen with tomatoes as well, the same type deal. Um, it's, it's a fungal stem disease. So if you see black bands and black kind of cankerous spots on tomatoes, that's likely it, a fungus, and it's just hard to get ahead of it. Um, but if the, if the flowers have already started producing fruit, then it's likely that that fruit is going to be okay and be able to develop. But if your tomato plant's a little behind, that may not be the case. Uh, and Lori Wilson, morning anchor for Channel 2 Action News, sent me pictures in a panic a few weeks back with brown spots and some with yellow halos around them. But brown spots, just small, maybe the size of a, as big around as a cigarette, maybe spots on her hydrangea leaves and said, oh, no, the hydrangea looks great, but what is happening here? So I found that to be Cercospora leaf spot. And again, that's kind of nothing to worry about, nothing you should be too concerned with. 
Um, but just disease and fungus are really brought about by this, you know, humid weather. It doesn't even have to be really rainy. We've obviously not had a rainy season so far, but humid or maybe overhead watering. The leaves aren't getting an opportunity to dry out. So Cicospora leaf spot brought on by the leaves staying wet from too much rain and in our case probably just overhead watering instead. Humidity is not helping. So the end result of that for a hydrangea, some leaves are going to brown and fall and that can't be avoided. But the good news, the hydrangea itself is sturdy enough to where that's going to be okay. But as with diseased leaves on other plants too, when you have black spot on your rose leaves or something like that, it's always a good practice to remove all of that from around the base of the plant as soon as those diseased leaves fall. Just don't give the chance for any fungal spores to get into the soil or anything like that. Another one that I found, which was kind of a common occurrence amongst some folks that I talked to, as well as I was experiencing this as well, I had some cucumbers come on pretty strong and loved the fact that the cucumbers were getting seven, eight, nine inches long. I was ready to harvest them. But then the tops were green. You know, the top of the cucumber, maybe the first three or four inches was green. And the bottom's a little more yellow, which I can't imagine that that's going to have the right taste. So if you're noticing that, that's due to poor pollination. Um, bees have to visit the male and female blooms about six to eight times before full pollination occurs. And if that's just not being done, the bees are scarce, that's what's going to happen. So you'll definitely see uh, cucumbers just not looking quite right, or even squash. Squash could have a funny, little more bumpy look to it if it's not uh, pollinated properly. And the cucumbers, too, they might not be as big around as they should be. So that's something else folks are seeing. And I do love hearing from you as well as to what you're seeing in the landscape. 404-872-0750. Oh, yeah, and one more. One more friend, and you'll know this name. It's been quite a quite a while since you've heard it. But Karen Minton, the retired meteorologist from Channel 2 as well. I was so happy to hear from her, sending me a picture of her orchid reblooming, And she bought it in early maybe 2021. So it's been well over a year. And it bloomed, of course, when you bring it home from the store and it looks great and it holds on to the blooms for a month or so. And it just hadn't rebloomed. And she was so excited to send me pictures of it that it was the first orchid she's ever had that uh, rebloomed. And, you know, I've got two and I've honestly kept them alive for three years and they've never put on new stems and they've never rebloomed. I said, I'm so proud of you. What did you do? I need advice from you. So she kind of sent me a picture of her piano room where it's getting diffused all day light. And I thought, well, hmm. And it's kind of facing a little more west, southwest. Um, And I thought, well, if that's what works for her, that's what I'm going to try. Because I have mine in an eastern facing window and it's blazing hot right now. But I thought that really bright, intense early day, early morning sun is what they were going to like. But apparently not. I mean, they're, they're staying alive, so I'm doing something right but maybe with the diffused sun coming through the windows and coming through the blinds, that may be a little bit more of what it prefers. And again, with orchids, too, a lot of folks tend to really overthink orchids. I mean, it's it's kind of a no-brainer. I think the, uh, the less work you do, the better, probably. And a lot of you maybe heard just putting an ice cube at the top of the soil and letting that melt, and that's enough moisture for it. In my case, I soak it. Um, I soak the, the bark and the roots and the base of it. Uh, for about 10 minutes, maybe every yeah three weeks, four weeks. Um, it's really uncomplicated. And just making sure that that's pretty moisturized and pretty hydrated before you fertilize. And I don't even fertilize, but maybe once every 
couple of months. Maybe I need to fertilize more often. I don't know. I don't know what you think. 404-872-0750. Out to the phones. We'll go. It's 14 minutes after the hour. Say good morning to David and Tucker. Hey, David, how are you today? Uh, doing fine. I'm actually missing the heat. Oh, my goodness. Why? Oh, well, you're, you, you uh, don't mean literally you're missing it like, oh, no, you're missing it as in being up early? No, I was actually enjoying it for a change. I, I, I hit the critical weight level that uh, the heat doesn't seem to bother me anymore. Oh, wow. No, that's good. I mean, and like I said, I've been out in the garden more than, you know, I did in late spring and, you know, maybe the beginning of May. So, uh, yeah, something about it is, is very invigorating to me as well. But I'm very wise and very careful. I force myself to stop and take breaks, which normally I don't. I've got the cold ice water bottle out there, you know, and really trying to work in the shade when when it's allowed, when the sun's kind of starting to move around. And I'm like, oh, good, this bed's in the shade now. So, yeah, I mean, good for you. More power to you. We can really be productive if we're careful. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, a couple of questions. I think I know the answer to one is no, but is there a fast-acting, uh, quickly dissipating, plant-killing product out there, herbicide? What are we looking to kill, or just in general? Just in general, just kind of instead of trying to pull every well, <laughs> weed and thing up, yeah, I was just gonna, trying I was, to nuke it. Exactly what I was going to do. I was going to turn it around on you and say the quickest way to kill an unwanted plant is to yank it out of the ground. That's what I do. That's the quickest way to kill weeds and ensure they don't come back when you get them out by the roots. But that's understandable. A lot of us aren't in a physical condition to where we can really... Uh, do a lot of that manually, and especially if you're overwhelmed. I mean, you know, I, I hate to say glyphosate. I don't know enough about the chemical components of the others right off the top of my head to really say in comparison how quickly they would work. But glyphosate, I mean, that's still not a guaranteed thing. Yes, it's non-selective, meaning it's going to kill whatever it comes in contact with. But sometimes stubborn plants, maybe with waxy leaves or something that are a little more likely to repel it, are going to take repeat applications. But by time that gets in contact with the leaf surface, it comes in through the stems of the plant, moves down to the root system. So that process can take, you know, up to seven or eight days, depending on the plant and maybe the hardiness of the stem or if it's a woody stem or something, you know, take a little bit longer um, and needing repeat applications. But a lot of those broadleaf herbicides, too, when you go to Pike Nursery or you go to the big box store, and you see the herbicides with a dandelion on them, I mean, that is going uh -huh. to be the broadleaf herbicide. And I think a lot of those have 2,4-D, um, and there's some, like, three-way ones that that's how they work is three different chemicals. When you hear of three-way herbicides, I think there's even a four-way herbicide. Those are probably just as effective on the right things as well. Well, the other thing is a friend of mine has the uh, famous upside-down tomato plant bags and such. And uh, they opened up the plastic top where you apply the water, and she had a big honey of stink bugs on top of the dirt, and wondered if that is anything problematic. Um, they they don't hurt the vines, but it is going to be likely that they stick their little snout uh, into the the tomato, and that's probably going to be not you know what they want to happen. Um, they're they're easy to just manually remove. Um, mm -hmm. and getting control of them as soon as you see them. But yeah, now if there's a whole colony, then that's obviously um, one of the one of the things for vegetable gardening that's organic that we can be a little more um, liberal with, I suppose, 
is anything with spinosad. The that active ingredient spinosad is is organic. Like uh, Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew is the the first thing that I can think of that can that it contains, and that's a bonide product. Uh, Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew. That's maybe gonna work, but if if they can just be let to fly out or just you know picking them out of there, I think that's probably the best way. But yeah, they'll get to the tomatoes. Why are they there rather than on the plant? I don't know. I don't know if they're just looking for a nice, cool, moist place to hang out, perhaps. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm not really sure about how they congregate. When I find them in my house, this is the most bizarre thing. Um, I have valances on a curtain rod up above my breakfast area, and they go up into the sewn hems of the valances where it you know, goes along the rod. And again, I just guess because that's a nice shady place, and they congregate there. Very strange little guys, but yeah, How odd. yeah, quick, quick control. I didn't I know anybody used those topsy turvy tomatoes anymore. I hadn't even seen those in years. The upside down ones, hmm. yeah. Oh yeah, hmm. that's good. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean tomatoes, they'll grow just about anywhere. Five gallon buckets, raised beds, upside down, you name it. I think a tomato will do it. Well, David, good to hear from you. Thank you for that. Okie dokie. Right, Bye-bye. We'll, we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks so much. 404-872-0750. We'll be right back. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. It's Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on 95.5 WSB. The news, weather, and traffic team will be here first thing Monday morning to help you get back to work on time and informed. Now back to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's News and Talk. Oh, do I see rain in the forecast? It looks like I do. And I think a few places got a little bit of uh, a few showers last night, but scattered thunderstorms are the chance for today and tomorrow. Not cooling it off yet, though. Highs still in the low 90s with lows around 70. Green and Growing growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. All right, so in and out of rain showers, maybe some of you will not see any rain at all. And for those of you, I'm very sorry. I, I feel like I cut gypped last week when we didn't get a whole lot in my part of town either. But uh, yeah, so when you're dodging the rain, keep in mind, number one, when you're outside a lot, it is tick time. After working outside under trees and woodsy areas, be quick when you get inside to remove your clothes. And from what I've heard, if you put them in a hot dryer for 10 to 15 minutes, that heat is enough to kill them. Um, I don't see why you wouldn't just go ahead and wash them first in case you came into contact with soil, poison ivy, sweat. I mean, just anything else. Maybe wash them first. Uh, But the heat from the dryer is going to kill them. Also, check your skin, especially the areas where your clothes fit tight, like your socks around your ankles and that kind of thing. Number two, the foliage has browned now on daffodils for sure. Even some irises, you know, it's starting to go from that really pretty light green to a yellow. So you can dig them up and move them and transplant them if you need to. Uh, The irises, when you replant those, just barely need to be covered with dirt. The daffodils go a little bit deeper, maybe three to four inches deep. Just kind of pay attention as you're digging them up, you know, what conditions they preferred as you're removing them and simulate those conditions in the new spot. And also people have asked, well, what do I need to do with the leaves? I don't think it hurts to leave them on. But if they are completely yellow, completely brown, you can cut them off. But if there's a little bit of green left in that leaf, it's still sending energy back to the bulb or back to the rhizome. So it wouldn't hurt to leave that above ground and just wait till that leaf completely wilts. And number three, if you can stand the heat, stay after invasive plants right now, like bamboo, English ivy, privet. Remove what you can manually. 
whether you pull and pull and pull, make sure you get the roots out of the English ivy. I mean, man, it's rewarding once you get one long strand of ivy and it just keeps going like a long rope. I, I find that really rewarding to pull it out that way. But remove what you can manually. Uh, brush killers are most effective. Keep this in mind. Again, just like the glyphosate when I was talking to David, may require repeat applications of brush killer, but they're most effective. When you read the label, it's going to say when temperatures are warm, growth is active on the plant, and the air is calm. So it's going to really target right onto the plant that you're intending to put it on. So there you go. 404-872-0750. When we come back, I can't wait to hear from Chuck in Douglasville, a tip for orchids. If he's had them rebloom, just like Karen Minton, I want to know how. And Jesse from Conyers. Ooh, I like this. Take a clipping from a Confederate rose and an angel trumpet. When to do that and propagate your own plant from a cutting from someone else's. And you along. And then Premier Tree Solutions, ChopMyTree.com. Those guys headed into the studio about now, probably driving in. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Raphael. And they'll be with us at 730. 404-872-0750. I'm Ashley Frasca. It's WSB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. We're back for another half hour of the show, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you uh, an experience from Green Meadows Preserve along the Bluebird Trail with the Bluebird Guy, Jim Bearden, a piece in an interview that I did about two years ago, uh, but just went to a fundraiser for the Bluebird Trail at the Marietta Wine Market this past Wednesday with Jim and Kathy Bearden and all of their friends and Mickey Gasway. That was a great fundraiser. And again, kudos to the Master Gardeners uh, volunteer group in Cobb County for making a really nice donation to Jim. And they realize how valuable he is to West Cobb County and Green Meadows Preserve and folks that are fans of Bluebird. So I'll play that in just a little bit. Really, mainly because, I mean, I I really enjoy my relationship with Jim and learning about bluebirds, but also because I still see mom and dad bluebird in my backyard going back and forth to that bluebird nest box, and there must be more babies in there. This has got to be their second brood, I think. Um, So I'm really enjoying watching them, and I was kind of curious about what their schedule was, what they're looking like for the rest of the summer. And so I went back and listened to that piece with Jim, and he's really informative about that. So hang tight. We'll get to that here in just a few minutes, but I want to grab these calls. So now up next is Chuck in Douglasville trying to help me out with some tips for orchids. Hey, Chuck, welcome to the show. Good morning, Ashley. How's your day going today? Really good. How about you? Not bad at all. Hey, orchids are so simple. <laughs> yeah, after I can't killing, get them After to killing a few dozen of them, I got several dozen now that are doing just great. Well, so okay. how do you get them to rebloom? Well, the thing is, well, I, I have a friend of mine in the Dominican Republic that has an orchid farm. He oh. looked at mine and goes, these plants are gorgeous. I said, I can't get them to flower. They need to get cold. Oh. Take them down. I leave mine outside all the time. Okay, Okay. not during the winter, of course, but they can get down to like 40 degrees, nothing lower than that. If they get chilled after a couple days of that, they will spike within the first week or two. I'll be darned. No problem at all. And as soon as the flowers drop off, I mean, they they last all winter long. Right. As soon as they drop off, cut the stems because that drains from the plant. Mm -hmm. 
but never, never transplant them when they have flowers on them. That's, that's I, good advice. I keep mine in the pots, the clay pots with the uh, holes punched in the side. You can pick up at Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever and use the good uh, miracle Grow uh, orchid mix. And, you know, the best thing to do is just leave them alone. There's wow. plenty of humidity in the air to, to feed them. I do fertilize them every now and then with the miracle Grow, mm-hmm. But that stuff's so weak, it's, you only need like a quarter teaspoon per gallon of water. Yeah, I'll what I do. in there and... You know, let them sit there 10, 15 minutes, pull them out. They're fine. Yeah, I the keep. Other, I, ma- I make I'm, I'm that sorry. mix. I make that mix ahead of time in like a half gallon, you know, milk jug that I've cleaned out, and I keep it under the kitchen sink. And yeah, I mean, a little goes a long way. You don't really need a lot of fertilizer. Exactly. And now most plants, when they get enough sun, they turn dark green. If you see your orchid getting dark green, it means it needs more light. It's exactly the opposite. And when they get pale or start to turn yellow or lighter green in color, that means they're getting too much light. But you can get any orchid to spike and flower every year. Just, I leave mine outside, like I said, just let them get cool. When it gets down to, you know, 50, you know, 45, 40 degrees, no lower than that, they'll spike immediately. You'll have flowers all year long. Okay, now two questions for you. A, when they're outside, which I want to move my two outside right now based on what you're saying. Um, not direct sun, though. Like, don't want to scorch the leaves, right? Probably in a Definitely more of a shady not. area. Yeah. Okay. And then when you have them outside, are they in those original pots? You didn't do anything different transplanting them, did you? No. I mean, when I bought them, they had flowers. I let them grow out, mm-hmm. trim the stems, and then I transplanted them to those clay pots in the new orchid mix. And let them go. You know, work it in between the roots. Trim off any dead roots you have. Work the medium in between the roots so everything touches. And they're going to be fine. i got roots growing all over the outside of the pots. Yeah, I actually <laughs> had a caller like years ago that was like, oh, no, what are these growths that are coming up from the, the bark? And I was like, that's air roots. That's what it wants. But you know the ones that are dead, the air roots, because they, they're brown and crispy and they've, like, collapsed, right? So you exactly. cut those away. They're not doing any good. Wow, Chuck. Okay, so I think that's the problem with mine. It never cools off. It never gets chill. If you keep it outside, watch out for the snails and slugs. They'll tear them up. And they love eating those leaves. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only problem you got. So then when do yours flower? What time of year? And I know they flower repeatedly. Well, I probably. still got a couple left with flowers now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, as soon as they spike, um, you know, at the, at the end of the summer, when it starts getting cold moving in the fall, you know, then it's too cold to leave them outside. I bring them in. And they spike and they flower, and it's all winter long. And now the spring's here now. We're into the summer. I've already trimmed a couple of the stems off. Yeah. I still got a couple left with flowers. And uh, eventually that's just it. But they'll be out here until it gets cool again. And they'll be fine. I'll have flowers all over the place. I am just. I might have to send you some pictures. (laughs) Please do on the Facebook page. Yeah, are you on Facebook? Yes. Yeah, so search Green and Growing WSB and do private message me or direct message me. I would love to share that because you have been wonderful with some tips. I am just thrilled to death to hear um, that You'll you're the first one that's ever... Yeah, you're the first one that's ever told me they actually need to chill a little bit. Like, I always thought they liked heat, but like anything else, I guess they probably need a break. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, yeah, and please just, do. Less, just leave them alone. Okay. Best thing to do is just leave them alone. There's plenty of humidity down here. They're air plants. They'll grow just fine. Yeah, yeah. Thank let's, you. let's not overthink things. That's great advice. Chuck, thank you very much. I look forward to you reaching out to me, okay? Thank you. Have a great day. You too. That's absolutely wonderful. That makes me very happy.
Uh, I can't wait to do that. And then when Chuck sends pictures, I will share them with you all. Just search Facebook for Green Growing WSB. And if you're not on Facebook, um, Chuck is pretty detail-oriented enough to where I think I could write a blog post about that. So in the future, you could very well see that come up on wsbradio.com slash green and growing. Okay, so as I promised, I would love for all of you to hear from Jim Bearden, the bluebird guy, and take a minute to really listen to this piece. I had a great time creating it, but if you've ever wondered why you've not seen bluebirds to your backyard or your area, guarantee you do these things and you're going to love watching them. Green Meadows Preserve. Have you heard of it? It's in West Cobb County and off of Highway 120 for those of you that are Cobb County residents and maybe not. Maybe you've never heard of it. Well, I came along today and I want to introduce you to somebody, Jim Bearden. He has a vested interest in the Green Meadows Preserve and is the vice president of the Friends of Green Meadows. There's a lot of cool stuff being done here other than the walking trails, the 185-year-old Southern Red Oak acres of just natural beauty that you need to see. I want you to learn a little bit more about Jim's weekly tasks that he volunteers to do, watching and maintaining and keeping a close eye on 30 bluebird nesting boxes. When we identify a bluebird nest, what materials do they use? They like pine straw, and when it's available, that's their material of choice. Chickadees like uh, moss and hair, uh, wrens like sticks and grass and hair. So you can always tell what species it is by the material they're using. Sometimes I go out here and if I don't clean it fast enough, if I have a chickadee, I'll have a bluebird bill on top of it. And then if something happens and they don't lay their eggs, a wren will come in and build on top of that. Which parent is responsible for doing most of the construction? Both build the nest. Only the female can lay the eggs, and only she can incubate the eggs. And while she's sitting on the eggs, the male feeds her. He brings her food. And then after they fledge, they are all responsible for feeding them because the babies, after they fledge, are not capable of feeding themselves for the first 30 days after they leave the nest. I guess we'll start with the courtship between the bluebirds. Well, the male is the one that finds the nest site, so he's the one that checks out the... Uh, the nest box and then he has a whole little song and, and flirtation uh, routine that he goes through. Once she decides that she wants to move in with him, then they start building a nest and normally it takes uh, about a week. And then once she starts laying eggs, she lays one egg a day up until five or six eggs. So usually it's four to five, that's the norm brood. She takes a break, goes and finds insects and exercises because once she starts incubating, she's confined to that box a lot. So once she starts sitting on the eggs, it takes her 12 days of sitting on the eggs to incubate them to hatch. And then once the eggs hatch, uh, they're very good housekeepers. They um, take all the shells out, all the waste sacks out. From the time they hatch, because they all hatch the same day, it takes 19 to 20 days for them to develop to the point that they can fledge and leave the nest. Once they leave the nest, they fly to a perch or then up into the trees. And then for the first 30 days after that, you see them out, you see little specks on their chest. And four or five of them will be lined up on a limb, crying and begging for the parents to feed them. And the parents feed them. They're not born with the knowledge of how to feed themselves. So the parents have to teach them. 
And one quick question. You mentioned earlier how smart bluebirds are. What's maybe one thing people would be surprised to know about bluebirds? They don't want a neighbor. They don't want to see their neighbor. Uh, think of a football field. They don't want to be any closer than 100 yards to their neighbor. So I did a test site to try to help with the competition of the tree swallows and the bluebirds. Knowing I wouldn't get bluebirds in both, but I was hoping to get tree swallows in one and a bluebird in one. Bluebirds build a fake nest in one box, then built a real nest and laid their eggs and hatched their babies in the, the box next to it. So they're pretty smart. It's pretty cunning. One of the questions I always ask about bluebird houses, nest boxes such as this, is it true they have to face a certain direction, they have to be mounted at a certain height? Is that true or false for just a standard homeowner? True. Should be six feet tall. Um, should always face east because we get less bad weather out of the east and then we get the morning sun so they can warm up in the mornings after a cool night. We're encouraging people to put up correct nest boxes in their yards so that we have more places for them to go and make nests and reproduce. And what varieties of bluebirds do we see here in Georgia? Just one kind? The eastern bluebird. And their territories from Canada all the way to the northern part of Florida. The nesting season like March to end of August. Then during the winter, they live in the trees. They don't migrate. The eastern bluebirds, they stay here. And today, I came to Green Meadows Preserve. This is just natural beauty that you need to see. Undiscovered treasure. It's being discovered uh, recently, but it's a beautiful park. It's a passive park. It's meant for walking, uh, your dogs, uh, hiking. Just a gorgeous place to see a lot of birds and see a lot of plants and flowers and great place to have picnics and we just ask that you leave no trail behind, take everything with you that you bring in. So respect the park and uh, she'll take care of us for years to come. Happy trails to you, Jim, thanks. All right, thank you. Thanks for coming out. Absolutely adore Jim Bearden and the passion and the knowledge he has. So thank you so much, Jim, for educating us on Bluebirds. 404-872-0750. When we come back, we'll talk to Jesse from Conyers, taking a clipping from Confederate Rose and Angel Trumpet and how to propagate that next on WSB. It's got Slate. Did you know you can listen to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on Saturday mornings on your smart speaker? And me too, weekday mornings. Just tell your smart speaker, play 95.5 WSB, and we're on. 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's news and talk. Here's Ashley. Weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Scattered thunderstorms are in the forecast for today, tomorrow, and Monday, but still, it's going to be hot. Highs are in the low 90s, at least. It's not 100. Uh, lows are around 70. And we still have a chance of rain as uh, late into the week as Tuesday and Wednesday as well. The complete forecast coming up in less than 10 minutes. 404-872-0750. Jesse from Conyers, patiently waiting. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, Nancy. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. Uh, we've lived at the same house for about 40 years. We've got a lot of different plants we're going to be transferring when we move. One of them is an angel trumpet, and the other one a confederate rose. How do you take clippings from those and get them rooted? Awesome. Now, let me ask you, with the angel trumpet, does it overwinter okay out east in Conyers? Have you ever experienced that it dies back with a really cold winter and just never comes back? No, it, it comes. it's been coming back every year. I have a lot of mulch on it. That's great. Yeah, that's key. A lot of folks are afraid that they won't survive the winters. Now, if we just have a really harsh winter, a lot of folks will lose them. But yeah, when you 
cut back those just brown, yucky stems around Thanksgiving right before wintertime. A lot of folks mound mulch, like you said, or maybe put a bucket over them and just make sure to protect them in the winter if you're leery. But uh, So Alan and Conyers have success with Angel Trumpet and Confederate Rose. I'm glad to hear it. The Angel Trumpet, Jesse, I would wait until fall, maybe October, early November, but it still has to be green when you take the cutting for that. Um, it's going to root really quickly. Take the cuttings from the angel trumpet, make them at least 12 to 16 inches long. Take a number of them just to make sure you've got room for error. Um, keep them in a vase with at least six inches of water, but more is not going to hurt. Everywhere that water is hitting that stem, roots are going to start to appear, you know, white fibrous roots out from that stem. And then if you do that, maybe October, you'll probably have enough roots on it to where you could put it in a small pot, maybe eight inch pot or so and some soil um, in December or January and the whole time it's in the vase with water and then when it's moved to a pot with soil once it has enough roots a sunny window is going to be really really important and then by spring it should be ready to plant say April or so you can move it from that small pot outside the confederate rose the timeline's a little bit different and I did this thanks to Mickey Gazaway last year she gave me a cutting in April um, so I think it's probably, you could try it now. You could certainly try it now, but I just liked that that cutting stayed outside in April and May and wasn't really stressed with the heat too bad. Now it just may have to be kind of in direct sunlight if you were to do it, but same thing, uh, a cutting that's at least 12 inches long, a bucket of water. She told me with the Confederate Rose, fill the bucket all the way up. Uh, with water and yeah sure enough everywhere where there was water there were roots and leave some leaves on there that's very important to leave leaves on the cutting of the confederate rose and then if you do it that way like i started it in april so i had roots on it by june and that's when i put it in the ground last year uh, but now the timing will time out pretty well you'll be able to establish it in the landscape maybe late august early september when it's starting to cool off a little bit thank you yeah and so when did you say you're moving <laughs> Do what now? When did you say you're moving? We hope to move in about a year. And we've got a lot of years of different kinds of plants here that we want to try to work on. You're so smart. Yeah, to be thinking like in a year's timeline. Because if you had to be out by, you know, like next month, then you're kind of SOL. Or you would just have to ask the new owners, hey, can I come back at a certain time and take cuttings? But yeah, yeah, you're thinking ahead. That's really smart. Can I ask you one more question? Sure. What about, I think it's called a Cherokee Rose, the little white petals? Yeah. What about how we've had that for her mother's place? And it's it's a low-growing rose bush for you, right? This one's about six feet tall. And it's a Cherokee Rose. Hmm. I think that's what she calls it. You know, um, I have never propagated a rose, and I don't know why I'm a little scared of them. Knockouts are fine, but once we get into Cherokee, I know those are pretty sturdy, though, too, just like knockouts. Um, Go onto the Greater Atlanta Rose Society site and actually see if they have some good instructions on propagating rose. I'm pretty sure it's GARS. Yeah, Greater Atlanta Rose Society. Um, (laughs) Take their advice on propagation over mine. But it might kind of be the same type deal. I just don't know if with a rose cutting you may want to do some rooting hormone on the cut tip. Um, but the right. others, the angel trumpet and the Confederate rose are so easy. You do not need rooting hormone or anything. You just need water and a bright, sunny area. Good, good. Thank you so much. And I really enjoy your show. Thank you, Jesse. I really appreciate that. And good luck with the move and good luck with the propagation. Yeah, folks, like if this sounds attractive to you, and by the way, a Confederate rose is not 
uh, a rose, like Jesse was just asking about the Cherokee rose. Confederate rose actually is more of like from a hibiscus family with leafy, big leafy green leaves. Well, of course they're leafy, they're leaves. But, you know, they're like just bigger leaves. Um, and, and the flowers go from white to pink. And so the bush changes color and, and they can be huge. A Confederate rose bush is beautiful. Um, but that's why those are propagated in a different way, that and angel trumpet, because they're more woody stems versus uh, something that's not woody, not herbaceous like that. Um, but yeah, very easy to propagate. Like if that sounds attractive to you and you do want to propagate it from someone else's plant with their permission, of course, um, take as many stems as you can without making the plant look funky uh, that you're taking the cuttings from. But the more the merrier, man. If you take at least five or six cuttings, you know, you'll be really lucky to have two to three succeed and actually take hold uh, and root. But if you just take one or two cuttings and neither one works out, then you're going to have to wait till the next year to do it. But really wait till a lot of those white fibrous roots start showing up along that stem and then plant that stem pretty deeply in the ground. I would say at least eight inches deep and all of that will be super happy in its new home. 404 More on Green and Growing. When we come back, you're listening to 95.5 WSB.